Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, friends, I'm really excited to be back with you as we launch a brand new series here in 2021. Well, the truth be told, it may not be a brand new series. We're continuing in this little letter that John wrote called First John. Back in November, we had a series called Living True where we explored the first bits of that. I hope you remember, and if you didn't, I encourage you to go back and take that up. This little letter that John wrote, he wrote to encourage Christians to follow the true Jesus that they had discovered and heard about through him and others, and also to love their neighbor in real practical ways. And he's absolutely fierce about it because there's been people going around downplaying the significance of the true Jesus and even the significance of loving our neighbor. And so John's writing this letter to encourage these Christians to keep on keeping on. And isn't that what we're always trying to do? In that first section, we explored what it means to be living true. And we talked about how the true news that God has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can be in true fellowship with God, receive true forgiveness, and be able to express that true love. And that was our November series. Well, this next section in John's letter helps us drill down on what matters most. And for the next seven weeks, we'll be exploring the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3 of 1 John, asking just that question, what matters most in life, in history, in our families, in our workplace, in our faith. Now, knowing what matters most is crucial. We get fuzzy on that, or at least I do. You know, you get up in the morning and there's immediate demands. Thoughts fill your mind. To-do lists. Kids. Um, there's, there's work going on. There's, there's something alarm going off. Each and every day, it seems kind of relentless. And so getting up in the morning and having a clear picture of this is what matters most today. This is what we're going after. I mean, that in some ways helps us then get on with the life that God has called us to live. And New Year's is a great time to stand back and actually get clear on what really matters, to reevaluate, to reorient, to remember with this profound question, what does matter the most? Because when we know what matters the most, we'll make the most of what matters. We know this is true. And today's teaching in 1 John launches us into that, casts a vision for us that I think is deeply compelling. And if we're ready to receive it, the Holy Spirit will instruct us right now, today, will lead us to engage in the year ahead, in 2021 and whatever it brings, and to do so with confidence, with joy, and with anticipation. And what's more, if we'll take this teaching that John offers us through the Holy Spirit, we'll take this to heart and we'll put this truth into practice. 
we will be able to inspire and encourage the people around us as they enter 2021 in whatever state they are entering it. We'll be able to help the people around us to grow, to learn, to deepen, to have joy and anticipation as well, rather than shriveling or hiding or being fearful or maybe even unraveling. And so today, let's turn to the next passage in 1 John. We're right now in chapter 2, and it's like John takes a step back after his first block of writing. He takes a step back to remind them of why he's writing in the first place. We find this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what he says. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray before we go any further. Holy Spirit, we just ask today that you would take the teaching from your word and you would apply it to our hearts and our lives. May our eyes and ears be open, our hands ready to receive and put into action what you are teaching us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me make a couple observations before we dig into some of the particulars of what John's saying here. The first thing I want you to notice is that he's talking about his spiritual family. He's talking to his spiritual family. I mean, all the language used, dear children, fathers, young men, he does it two times, dear children, fathers, young men. It's tempting to maybe think he's kind of looking at his church and he's dividing them up into categories, maybe according to maturity or age, but it's much more likely that John is actually referring to the whole church in three different familial ways. The truth is, the phrase, dear children, is the most common way that John refers to the people he's writing to all through his letter. And so we know that applies to everyone. But it's true also with fathers and young men. They bring different things to mind, different blessings, different connections, and he wants to draw that out but it's important for us to see that he's referring to us all, even as he speaks of fathers, young men, dear children. The second thing I want you to notice is that he's super affirming to them. Nothing new is really being said here. In, in, in some ways in this little section, he's not instructing them about something beyond maybe his purpose for writing. This is their pastor, their elder their brother in Christ, and he's, he's wanting them to know what's already true. He's affirming the truth of who they are in Christ. Now, all through John's letter, he uses very bold, stark language to convey truth. And while that can at times be endearing, it also can be quite jarring. Some of the conversations I've had, even with some of you about this letter of 1 John, is around some of those moments where John it seems so stark and so jarring and you wonder what's going on. Well, as a result of that stark language, you can wonder sometimes, like, 
Does John even think these people are Christians? Or like, what is he really getting at? Well, this section sets the record straight. He's very clear here. This is what he knows is true of them. And he's passionate that they know the truth about what is true about them. That they hold to this truth, that they experience this transformational truth in their lives. And so he's writing to them to encourage them to keep on keeping on, knowing the truth, living the truth, following Jesus according to what has already been revealed, what is already true, and then rejecting those false ideas that would diminish Jesus and also detract from our love for others. In summary, this is their pastor, their friend, their brother in Christ, writing to affirm the truth of who they are in Christ. Well, what does he affirm about them? Or, what does he affirm about us? First, he affirms that we are forgiven and free because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. John just declares it. Now, if you've read 1 John up to this point, or you were part of our November series, you actually already heard a lot about sin and forgiveness. We explored true forgiveness as one of the whole uh, episodes, as it were, in the November series. And I encourage you to go back and pick that up again, because we explored a lot more detail. In 1 John 1.9, a verse we'll hear later in our communion liturgy, we're told if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then a little later, in just the beginning of chapter 2, we're told that if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. Pastor John wants his church to know, wants us to know what's already true of us. It's a done deal. Mission accomplished. Past tense. Your sins have been forgiven. Even when we come and ask for forgiveness again, we come knowing that they have been forgiven. We're not told that, you know, if we'll just be a little bit better or if we'll just be good enough, then our sins will be forgiven. Or if you just work hard enough, they might be forgiven. It's not, it's not like that. It's not held out as, as some sort of candy or bait. No. We can look in the rearview mirror knowing that we are forgiven. Knowing that the work of Jesus on the cross covers us completely, past, present, and future. So never believe the lie that wants to get you to think that your past sins are not forgiven, that somehow Jesus is still holding that to your account. False. He died for it. It's a done deal. So that's the first thing. Second, John wants us to know that we know the true God revealed through Jesus Christ. They're told twice the, the words, you know him who is from the beginning. And then as children, you know the Father. And this is a huge deal. Again, in our November Living Truth series, we talked at length about how knowing Jesus is how we come to know God. That through Jesus, God the Father has been perfectly revealed to us. And this revealing isn't a theory or an idea or a concept or even a doctrine necessarily. No, Jesus revealed God to us in a way that created a new relationship, brought us into the family. We don't know God like you know a celebrity 
you read about in a magazine or through their Instagram account. We don't even know God the way that you would know a historical figure after you've read several biographies on them. We know God as children know a good father. We've been brought into this new relationship with him through Jesus Christ. This knowledge is true because it's based on a real knowing, a real connection with a live person revealed to us in Christ and made alive in us by the Holy Spirit. John wants them to know that they know him. He's not saying, well, you kind of know him, you might someday get to know him, or there's some, and this is often the trap, some esoteric, mysterious knowledge that you just haven't yet tapped into and until you really know this deep, deep secrets, you can't really know God, which is precisely what some of these false teachers or antichrists, as John calls them, that's what they're doing, the common trap. No. He says, look, you know him. Now you may think, I don't know much. I'm kind of a, the little guy here. You know, there's so much more I need to know. Yeah, that might be true, but listen to this. Knowing God, knowing God the Father, never means that we know him exhaustively. That's impossible. But it does mean we know him truly. You can know, you do know, the true God who has been revealed in Christ. An example would be marriage, or perhaps the friendship with a long-term friend. We can know them truly, and yet recognize there's still more about them to know, to learn about. As that friendship deepens, as the years bring changes and learnings and experiences into our lives, we can grow in our appreciation for them and the depth and what God is doing in the way that they are experiencing life. Well, if that's true of a human friend or a human spouse, how much more true is it of the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? We can know God truly, even if there's so much more to learn about him as we do. What John is certain of is this. As dear children of God, they're already intimate with the Father. And third, John wants to affirm that through Christ, we are strong overcomers. He uses young men as the term twice to refer to this overcoming. One thing that is characteristic of young men, of course, is their strength and their vitality. Have you ever been to an all-boys camp? Well, during the years that I worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, I went through the baptismal fires of two week-long senior boys camps. I'm not kidding when I say baptism by fire. The youthful strength of these young men seemed boundless. Now, as older guys, we could still, you know, we could still muscle them down. We could still kind of throw the odd kid in the lake just to keep them humble. But these boys were relentless. We would take them out. Like, like the vandal hordes, they'd keep coming back. You know, They'd wear us out. We'd have long games of bog ball and capture the flag. And we'd go swimming and canoeing and hiking over mountains, constantly wrestling with these boys who were bloody and sweaty and stinky and dirty. You know, every teenage girl's dream. Uh, that's what these boys were. And they just kept coming back for more. But this youthful strength, this vibrancy, this insatiable competitive desire to win, it's actually that aspect 
of youth that John is grabbing a hold of and applies to the whole church family. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. These are powerful statements that are true of every child of God. You might be a 72-year-old grandma, but today you're a young man. Strong with God's very word indwelling you, overcoming the evil one. Now I know there's lots of times we don't feel like that. We feel weak. We feel inadequate. We often may not feel like this is true at all, which is why we need reminders like this, that in Christ and because of Christ and because the Holy Spirit is in our lives, we are strong, not in and of ourselves, but because we are in Christ. That through God's word in us, we have the authority to live out the truth of who we are in Christ. And because of Jesus, who has already overcome the evil one, we have overcome the evil one. The Apostle Paul famously said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Of course, referring to the often difficult aspects of our lives that surface when we are following Jesus faithfully, whether that be the isolation, the loneliness, the difficulty, the separation, the financial difficulties, or the mental illness that has even surfaced during this time of COVID. We can be strong. We are strong in Christ who gives us strength. And what's more, just like everything he's been saying already, John puts this in the past tense. Not you will someday overcome, but you have overcome. You are strong. God's word lives in you. And you think, how can this be true? Because our strength, our overcoming, our youthful vitality is not found in us but in Christ. Through Jesus Christ, the battle has already been won. The enemies have already been defeated. The overcoming is already accomplished. Yes, we still have battles to fight in our own individual lives, in our families, in our world. That is true. But the difference, knowing that the war has already been won, that the overcoming has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ makes all the difference. It places us in a different position where now this is also true of us. And so we can say with confidence, even in times where we don't feel strong, I am strong in Christ. This is why a little later in John's letter, he, he, he's going to say something when he's speaking about these antichrists, which is about people who are circling, uh, circulating these antichrist teachings. It's nothing to do with a mythical beast you might have heard of. He says this, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, referring to these, these false ideas, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What's John affirming here in us? In Jesus, we are total overcomers. Through Christ, we know God truly. Because of Jesus, our Messiah, we are completely forgiven. And friends, here at the beginning of 2021, this clarifies for us what matters most. Did you hear that? I think it's important, particularly as we say, you know, good riddance to 2020. And hello, 2021, let's hope it's better. It'd be easy for us to focus on all the things we're hoping will be true in 2021, maybe in contrast to the year before, behind us. But before we do that, the Holy Spirit's inviting us to do is to get clear on what's already true now. 
Because what's true of you today matters more than what's going to happen tomorrow. Did you hear that? What's true of you and I today, what John is reminding of us here, what's true already in us because of Christ is far more important than what's going to happen tomorrow or next year or in the next decade to come. As your pastor, I want you to hear this really clearly, that what matters most is what's already true because of Jesus, that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you are known by the Father, and that you are in an intimate relationship with Him, that you are strong in Christ, that the Word of God dwells in you by the Holy Spirit, and that you have overcome the evil one. Most of my counseling, most of my conversations on the phone, over Zoom, out for walks, over the years, frankly, my understanding of what it means for us to follow Jesus and help other people find and follow Him comes from actually helping you and I remember what's already true because of what Jesus has done. Constantly bringing us back to the truth of who we are in Christ because of who Jesus is. What he's already done on our behalf so that we can see, well, if that's true of us now, then that changes the way we live into the future. And the Holy Spirit's work is to take what's already true of us in Christ and apply that, make it real in our experience, in our lives. This is critical for us because regardless of what happens, we need to know what's already true. But it's particularly true when difficulties come. I'm more convinced than ever that what's true of you in Christ will determine how you respond in crisis. You've probably seen this. I certainly have. When marriage problems come, when health crises hit, when a loved one maybe betrays us or leaves us or even dies, when it seems like the world is crumbling all around us, we've got to get clear on who we are in Christ so that we can weather whatever comes with Christ. And so in conclusion today, I want to offer some practical application for us as we go into 2021. The first thing is this, to know your roots. And this is the question. I encourage you to get some paper, write this down. Because of Jesus, what's true of me now? I invite you, before you even think about what's coming in 2021, to spend some time reflecting on this question. Because of Jesus, of who he is, of what he has done, What's true of me now? Base it on these words that John has spoken. Broaden that out and base it on the rest of 1 John. Base it on what God has said in the totality of the Holy Bible. But know your roots. Know what is already true of you. That's what matters most. So because of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what's true of me now? And I encourage you to write these out as positive statements. You might want to write them out and post them where you can see them, read them, and remember them. Because a big part of experiencing what matters most in our lives is actually remembering it, keeping it in front of us. And so, for example, you can take some of what we've explored today and rewrite them out as a, like, a, like a daily or a weekly affirmation. You can, you can write out something like, I am completely forgiven by Jesus. No sin or brokenness or hurt will ever be held to my account because of what Jesus has done. For me, write that out. Remember that. 
focus on that. Another example would be, because of Jesus, I am now a friend of God. He enjoys me and likes to be with me. Write it out. Know your roots. Know what is true of you now because of Jesus. The second is that we would grow our fruits. Following up with the second question, I hope you've written the first one down. Second question is this, because of what is already true of me through Christ, what does the Holy Spirit want to grow in me? Because of what is already true of me in Christ, what does the Holy Spirit want to grow in me? And I think just basing it on the affirmations we've received today through John's letter, I think there's three possible areas for you and I to consider as we engage 2021. The first would be, the Holy Spirit may want to grow you in the fruits of forgiveness. To experience the grace and the freedom that comes from truly knowing that in those places of hurt, places of anger, places of sin, places where you've experienced abuse, places where you have hurt others, then in those places of brokenness or guilt or shame, Jesus wants you to experience the full freedom of his forgiveness, to know that you are truly free and forgiven. And it could be that that's the fruit the Holy Spirit wants to grow in you this year. It could be that the Holy Spirit wants to grow in you and I the fruit of intimacy with God. I love John's confidence here to say, you know the Father. Jesus does a similar thing in the Gospel of John where he says with boldness, you know my voice. You follow me. And we think, really? Do I? Yes, we do. And the Holy Spirit wants to grow that fruit of intimacy in us to deepen our friendship with the triune God. This is what spiritual formation is all about. And so if that's already true of us, we know God. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to grow the fruit of that intimacy in us as we engage in 2021? What would that look like? The third area would be that the Holy Spirit wants to grow in us the fruits of overcoming strength. I think we can all acknowledge that there are places in our lives where, well, we say the words, I have overcome. I am an overcomer. And yet we can point to something, area of our life that stands in contrast to that. That's part of what it means to grow in Christ, of course. Well, if we can embrace the truth that we have overcome in Christ, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to grow that in us? To help us address, as John Baker says, the habits hurts and hang-ups in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to apply the truth of who we are in Christ in the real situations that would bring transformation and joy and change. It could be that, which is typical, we look to 2021 and we think, there's some ways I want to get healthier this year in mind, body, soul, relationships, and those are good. Root that in who you already are in Christ and experience the fruits of that in your life. So pick one of these areas and pray into it. Invite the Holy Spirit into a conversation with you about where he wants to grow this fruit. And I invite you to write that down as a second set of affirmations. Add to it, as it were, what you've already written down. Linking what's already true to this area of growth that the Holy Spirit may want to bring into your life. Because of what's already true of me through Christ, what does the Holy Spirit want to grow in me? I invite you to be concrete about that. 
Name the areas where you want to experience the truth of who you already are in real, practical ways. Well, you get it. My encouragement is that you take some time here in the next week to actually take these two questions, sit with them and explore them, and see what fruit the Holy Spirit wants to grow from the root of who you already are in Christ. When we know what matters most, Jesus will help us make the most of what matters. Let's go to communion now. Communion, of course, is the celebration that the church has participated in for 2,000 years, celebrating what is true because of Jesus Christ. We ingest, we take in, we swallow, we, we, we chew and partake in this meal as a way of participating in the grace and the love and the freedom that we have in Christ. We abide in the vine, as we hear in John 15. The vine, who is Jesus, as we eat this bread and drink this juice. And this holy communion, this celebration of Jesus and his love for us, it anchors us in true reality, reminding us that what matters most is what's already true of us in Christ. I want to invite Crystal Anderson, who's been leading us in worship today with her team, to join me in this communion today as we lead you through our communion liturgy. It is now our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All who humbly put their trust in Christ and desire his help that they may lead a holy life. All who are true, truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them. All who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life, following the commandments of God, walking from now on in his holy ways, are invited to draw near with faith and to receive this holy sacrament. As we come to the sacred table today, will you join us for our confession? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Now let us confess together our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven is seated at the right hand of the Father, 
and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, for your gift of life, the gift of your sacrificial death, the gift of your resurrection, we thank you. And today, as we participate together here online, each in our homes and Crystal and I here together, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring home to us, to our hearts, the reality of what is already true in you. That as we drink this juice, this bread, that we would not only remember, but joyfully participate in all that we are in you, all that you have done for us. And so we give you praise and glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for your gift of life to us. Amen. Here's the invitation. Come to this sacred table, wherever you are, in your homes, around a table, on the couch. Come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Come. Friends, this is the blood of Christ. This is the body of Christ. Come, take, eat, and be blessed. What matters most is what's already true. We are strong, forgiven children of God because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. No, we don't know what 2021 holds. None of us do. But we do know the God who goes before us into 2021. We do know the God who surrounds us with his angel armies and friends, family, Dear children, fathers, young men, 
know that this matters most. And as our team leads us in his final song, I want to read for you from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And then jumping down to the very end, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.